0: Welcome to Sport Management Review Insights. I'm your host, Vito Sobral. Have you ever found yourself reminiscing about that time your favorite sport team did something special? Winning a championship, beating your rival, overcoming incredible odds? Well, yeah, me too. And it's all related to sport nostalgia, which is going to be the focus in this episode. And joining us to discuss this is someone well accustomed to thinking about sport fans' behavior and emotions. He's published widely on sport fan psychology and behavior, as well as nostalgia. He's Assistant Professor for Sport, Outdoor Recreation and Tourism Management at the University of Tennessee, Chattanooga. It's Eric Hungenberg. Welcome, Eric.
1: Hey, thank you for having me.
0: It's our pleasure. Eric and co-authors Mark Slavich, Andrew Bailey and Taylor Sawyer recently published Examining Minor League Baseball Spectator Nostalgia, a Neuroscience Perspective. Now, Eric, we've seen some really enlightening research on sport and nostalgia, but a neuroscience perspective is something rather new. How does it help us understand sport nostalgia?
1: Well, I I think anybody involved in social science research understands some of the inherent limitations associated with retrospective um, response bias, largely emanating from survey design. And so one of the goals certainly with this study and in capturing an immediate cognitive affective response was utilizing tools that uh, may, may create a more rigorous, more accurate uh, depiction of those, those responses. And, and so that's what led us to electroencephalography, mobile devices, and, and as well as the use of ecological momentary assessment.
0: There's some big words there. We're going to get to them later. But uh, one that's not so big is nostalgia. Now, I think most of us know how it feels, but articulating what it is exactly, I think could be a little bit trickier. So can you just tell us, define it for us? What is nostalgia? And then why is it important in sports management?
1: Well, well simply put, it's, it's reminiscing on days gone by, hearkening back on past experiences that produced a, a sentimental outcome right? Those can be incited from conversation. They can be incited from sights, from smells, from, from sounds. And, and any of these sensory stimuli can produce a favorable response or a melancholy response, rather. It, it's really intended upon, or really based upon, rather, the, the purpose that our memories are serving. So, so generally, our, our memories can be broken up into what our restorative nostalgic moments and, and reflective nostalgic moments. Some of us recollect on, on memories or, or draw on nostalgia in order to restore the past. Obviously, that, that reflects a, a reconstruction of the past. And, you know, simply put, if we're attempting to restore what was in the past, what was old, then there's, there's likely to be a sentiment that uh, the status quo was not as good as, as the old days. And so that type of nostalgia is probably more closely related to melancholy or sadness. However, nostalgia can also exhibit happiness and joy and, and comfort if we accept the fact that what is in the past is will stay in the past and reflecting upon it is, is merely looking back on the good old days. And, and so that is, that is where the, the bittersweet, I guess, definition of, of nostalgia comes from. That, that certainly in the original study of nostalgia, where the, where the context involved studying imprisoned criminals or, or soldiers fighting um, in far off lands. That, that context rendered the definition of nostalgia being one of, of sadness and loneliness. But as, as the study of nostalgia gravitated to, to other contexts, we've come to understand it as, as equally, if not more so, a positive sentiment.
0: So it's not just about whinging that music today sucks and that it was better before. There's other aspects to it. And you talk about in the literature review, the idea of sensory marketing. Can you tell us a bit about that and how it's related to sport and important for sport?
1: Well, every, every interaction that we have in, in a stadium, for instance. So you walk up and you're encountered by an usher or, or someone accepting your ticket. Maybe that incites conversation, right? That, that conversation can lead in a number of directions, right? That's, that's a sensory um, experience. You then walk up the corridor out into the the field of play or or the stadium, and you're presented with various sight lines, right? That's that's a sensory experience. You then gravitate to to the smells in and around the stadium. You know, it might be popcorn, it might be hot dogs, um, it might be the smell of the green grass. That's that's a sensory experience. The the music playing in the background is a sensory experience. The the sitting in the bleacher is a sensory experience. All of these invoke emotions in us, and sometimes those emotions create a behavioral response consistent with fond memories, and that's really at the crux of, of what this study intended to examine, was what is happening um, particularly in a baseball stadium that engenders nostalgia more frequently than others. I mean, there's there's a lot of talk about baseball being tantamount to American stock, right? It's it's associations to youthfulness, it's it's associations to long summer nights and conversations or, or bonding between fathers and sons, glimpses into a, a more simplistic time. All of these, all of these things are, are associated with baseball. And, and so one of the, the focal points of this study, in addition to using fancy tech, was better understanding what about the baseball environment evokes nostalgia, possibly at a, at a more frequent basis than uh, alternative sport um, environments. I,
0: I could see exactly why you chose baseball because it's got so much sensory elements to it and that uh, like you say that it evokes nostalgia. Even for me, who I've only been to two baseball games, and my memory of being at, at AT&T uh, Park for, Giant, for a Giants game, is the smell of popcorn and cheese. Like I have that etched in my memory so I could absolutely understand why uh, this is such a great case study. But of course you talked about the tech. How did you mix? how did you get neuroscience uh, and, and tell us about that connection with nostalgia?
1: Well, it's, it's an interesting story, you know, that, that all started with the creation of our city's first marathon and in 2015, the city of Chattanooga elected to produce its, its first marathon. And uh, the, the city came to our department at the university and asked us to, to develop ways to integrate science and technology into the race in, in order to create some kind of uh, differentiation, some unique aspect of our marathon. And to Andrew Bailey's credit, a colleague of mine and a co-author of this study, he came up with the idea of monitoring brave wave freq- brainwave frequencies amongst runners participating in the marathon. And that that created a lot of hype around our ability to actually monitor the, the cognitive ebbs and flows of a marathon runner throughout their competitive experience. That then kind of spearheaded additional research with the encephalography tool set. In the process of working with him on a number of projects, I had come across a piece of literature that uh, was was using mobile encephalography tools to to monitor brainwave frequencies consistent with trait and, and state nostalgia, and I had published a, a couple of articles or had worked on a couple of articles on, on nostalgia at that time, uh, and and certainly had been told of all of the limitations associated with asking people to reflect back on on why they felt nostalgia and what was triggering it and so forth, and and those uh, criticisms were were fair, of course, but. One of, as I said, one of the limitations associated with uh, social science research. But it got me thinking about how we could employ mobile headsets that, that capture brainwave frequencies real time to, to capture uh, either one's disposition towards nostalgia or, or, or state nostalgia. Fortunately for us, the, the headset produced by Emotive captures or, or interprets brainwave frequencies into mental states that have been found to be very consistent with nostalgia. So for instance, uh, withdrawal motivation is representative of of what we exhibit when we're sad. You know, when when we withdraw from a situation because of a sense of loneliness or sadness, that's emblematic of of withdrawal motivation. Certainly, uh, we all understand that reflection occurs in, in the moments leading up to nostalgia. We encounter a situation that uh, allows us to recollect on a positive experience. We reflect on the good, bad, and in between. Inward attention, um, which is synonymous with a, a reflective mental state, is also captured by this, this encephalography tool. Arousal is, of course, another one that's a little bit more straightforward. You know, when uh, you hear the theme song of Top Gun, you know, you, you hear that Kenny Loggins you know, famous song, if, if, you, if you're fond of that era, if you're fond of that movie, if you're a Tom Cruise enthusiast, then, you know, it's certainly going to engender a, a level of arousal. It just so happened that uh, this headset tool that we had employed in a marathon several years prior was giving us information consistent with nostalgia research. And that's more or less how we arrived at, uh, at this study
0: you've mentioned the tool a number of times. I think I'm just experiencing nostalgia now that you mentioned Top Gun, um, but you've mentioned the tool a number of times. Now I'm going to go out on a limb and try and say it Encephalography. was pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So obviously uh, I know what it means. Everyone listening knows what it means. Uh, we just want to test your knowledge. Can you just give us a simple explanation of it?
1: It's, it's capturing a variety of brainwave frequencies. So for instance, alpha brainwaves represent a relaxed state beta brainwaves represent anxiety, excitement. Theta waves represents our, our most calming state. So sleep, daydreaming, those things are reflective of, of theta waves. And different, different parts of the brain, without delving too much into the mud, um, different parts of the brain uh, are responsible for different emotional states. And the interconnectivity of those parts can be formulated to reflect interpretive responses, and so, long story short, um, the tool has developed intellectual uh, an intellectual you know formula that allows for a non neuroscience researcher to e- easily utilize uh,
0: the tool for our
1: own purposes.
0: Congratulations! I think he passed. Like that was that that was all correct. Uh, no, thank you for that. Um, Now, you explained the the method there and what you're using. You had a few hypotheses. What were you thinking? What were you expecting to find here?
1: Well, I'll tell you, initially, we were hoping to identify people in in the moment of of a nostalgic episode. So we were really trying to identify state nostalgia when it was occurring. And that's what we were more or less utilizing the ecological momentary assessment device, which is EMA simply allows you to allow a, a... a research participant to download an app and receive real-time question prompts So there's there's no retrospective Q&A. Everything is, is triggered by the researcher at a, a specific time And so every 20 minutes we were prompting respondents asking them to rate their degree of nostalgia and, and if they indicated they were they were feeling nostalgia we asked them to identify where it was coming from what, what sensory stimuli, whether it be sight, smell, sound, taste, social, was contributing to it. And we were going to use the real-time response from EMA to correlate with the the brainwave frequencies, the emotion or the mental states that were deemed to be consistent with nostalgia. Unfortunately, what we found out is there, there are too many spurious effects that you cannot control for. There are too many things that you cannot track and identify to accurately say, Nostalgia was occurring at this time as a result of, of, of this incident. You know, we, we were having upwards of, of 10 to 15 uh, participants at once, and it was very difficult to identify what was happening and when with, with each individual. And so what uh, ultimately came out of it was a better understanding, not so much of state nostalgia, but one, how one's disposition towards nostalgia influenced the, the prevalence or the frequency by which someone felt nostalgia. So in other words, if you were more prone to inward reflection, you were going to feel nostalgia more frequently. There's, there's a lot of research that says if you're more prone to, to sadness, to feeling lonely, um, you're going to be more nostalgic. What our study did was not necessarily find withdrawal motivation to be highly linked to nostalgic frequencies. And that's pretty self-explanatory, given the the positive emotions that go into a baseball game engenders, right? Um, But we did certainly find that, that those who were more likely to be aroused and those who were more likely to exhibit inward reflection felt nostalgia more frequently. So then the next step, though, was what about the baseball experience lends itself to those mental states? and i think baseball possesses some unique characteristics for instance there's a calming environment to baseball that lends itself to conversation so social interaction was among the most prevalent of sensory stimuli that uh, was found amongst respondents nostalgia the sounds you know there's 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 music that we we've, we've come to associate with baseball. And, and certainly if you're a baseball uh, lover, you know, the take me out to the ball game is, is something that we are, are likely to feel aroused from. The organ. Um, yeah, the, yeah, the epical organ, right? <laughs> um, and, and if you've ever been to a game at Fenway Park during the middle of the eighth inning and sang along amongst, uh, to Sweet Caroline, amongst, you know, 30,000 uh, strangers, You you certainly know how sound affects a memorable response. So I I think there are some characteristics that make baseball distinctive, that make it optimal for nostalgia in comparison to maybe a more violent, fast-paced sport such as hockey or or football, where your attention is always on the sport, um, on the competition, on the field.
0: And so from a sport management perspective, sport organization's perspective, what does this mean? How does this advance our understanding uh, of the area?
1: Well, the thing about memory is that memory only becomes of commercial use. Memory only becomes a commodity. Nostalgia only becomes a commodity if the the recollection is, is favorable and if it's attributable to the event or the environment. So for instance... You could you could go to a, a sporting event and run into a stranger, and the stranger could invoke all of these favorable memories of past relationships. And that conversation, that social interaction, could manifest itself into a very positive experience at that event. However, your your memory, the nostalgia that you felt as a consequence of that conversation is not going to engender any greater loyalty or bond with. The, the respective organization or the venue. However, if by going to an event, you have you have a hot dog, you have garlic fries, you have a number of, of any foods that are synonymous with your respective baseball venue, and it creates sentiment of fond memories, and you identify an ability to repeat that positive recollection through going back to a game and experiencing the hot dog and and the cheese fries all over again, then that becomes a behavioral response that's beneficial for a practitioner. I mean, if you think tradition is the manifestation of a first experience that was positive, that it was emotional, that connected us with others, and was ultimately repeatable. And so we did it over and over and over again. And all of a sudden, we're very loyal to whatever environment or experience that fostered that initial experience. That's that's more or less what tradition is and, and something that all sport practitioners are attempting to achieve. Um, so the question is, how do we as sport practitioners artificially engineer...
0: Thanks for uh, asking my next question. Did you get the script in advance?
1: <laughs> yeah. So the question is, how do, how do we artificially engineer nostalgia? right? And, and you can see a number of sport organizations and facilities that do it well with the integration of, of industrial uh, design, with the inclusion of, of steel beams and manual scoreboards, statues outside of the ballpark, all of these things engender recollection of days gone by. Major League Baseball's decision to play a, a season game at uh, the Field of Dreams in Iowa. Uh, I, I believe the White Sox and the Cardinals prior to covid we're, we're scheduled to, to play a game at the Field of Dreams venue. That's that's a perfect way of engineering nostalgia. What
0: well, about the kits as well. I always think that the the jerseys or, or I forget how to say it in America. The, uh, Jersey, the throwback shirts, the logos, all of that. Oh, it gives me nostalgia. Like when I see that shirt and how it's similar to to another one. The World Cup did that. Uh, Colombia had a shirt that was just like ninety two or nineteen ninety. So you, you see that in the in the apparel as well.
1: Absolutely. And, and there's, there's plenty of research that shows a bump in, in merchandise sales as a consequence of new uniforms. Oftentimes those come in the form of throwback uniforms. The real trick though for, for baseball, and, and baseball has certainly seen declines in attendance and engagement in recent years. Part of that may be explained because baseball relies too heavily on nostalgia. I mean, the, the things that I reference that uh, found associations with baseball are largely going to be experienced by older individuals, you know, hearkening back on past days. So how do we, as, as baseball fans, make sure that uh, the, the 25 to 35 demographic is engaged in baseball? To me, how we socialize young people into sport matters so much because if, if memory, if, if nostalgia is going to be used for, for marketing purposes, then that tactic really only works if someone was socialized into it at a, year, at a young age and can recollect back on previous days, right? Otherwise it does not work.
0: Eric, uh, I think you've explained that brilliantly. You've passed the neuroscience test. Uh, no, but the, the research seems excellent and really insightful and useful for, for sport practitioners who uh, can use nostalgia to, for their marketing and to bring more, uh, more fans to the, to the games.
1: Thank, thank you, I, I really enjoyed the conversation. Hopefully there's no, there's, there's not too much fact-checking with, with neuroscience. <laughs> uh,
0: it was a hundred percent. Thanks so much, Eric. It was great talking to you.
1: Hey, likewise. It was a pleasure. Have a great day.
0: And thanks for listening to Sport Management Review Insights. Please head to the Sport Management Review website to check out all the latest research being published, including the article discussed in this episode, Examining Minor League Baseball Spectator Nostalgia, a Neuroscience Perspective, from Volume 23, Issue 5. That's it for this episode, but take a look. There's plenty more that you can download to your favorite podcast player. Until then, it's bye for now.